cleanser of the mess I've made Upon the hill our places trade Stretched on across your body crushed By human hands you formed from dust Oh how wonderful your mercy is how awesome are your ways I come I come to worship you for all you've done oh cleanser of the mess your boundless love for me portrayed with patience for my learning curve by holding back what I deserve oh how wonderful your mercy I've made with everything at your feet laid I watch as all my cares erode and from my soul these words explode oh how That's a beautiful song. And she sings it so well. I mean, amazing. Oh, cleanser of the mess I've made. Have we made any messes in our lives? Upon the hill, our places trade, stretched on a cross, your body crushed by human hands you form from dust. He knows us so well, and yet he loves us so much. And that's a beautiful song. Thank you, Taylor, very much for that song. It is a blessing to us. 
Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will direct us by the Holy Spirit today. We pray that you will fill the need, Lord, meet the need in the lives of every person in this audience, Lord. You know what each one needs to hear. You know what each one's going through. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God will take the words and impress them on every heart. We pray for anyone who's not saved this morning to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And we pray for your people that you'll build us up, strengthen us for the journey ahead because we don't know how much time we have left, Lord. But we pray with the time we do have, we will use it for your glory. We just thank you now and pray that you will hide me behind the cross and, and speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' precious and most worthy name. Amen. You know, I had a great vacation. I really enjoyed it, and, and I enjoy Randy and Natalie's kids. They have three, of course, Haley, Jordan, and Parker, and they're all very unique in their personalities, uh, indeed. And that's the way kids are, and you love them a great deal. Well, Haley did a very sweet thing on vacation. When Jeff was down there with us, Jeff and Tay and Colin, uh, she found a butterfly. And she caught this butterfly, and as we all did probably when we were kids, she had a little plastic container, and on the top of it, it she put some holes in it so the butterfly could, could uh, breathe. And then she was swimming and doing some things, and I was eating my lunch there and watching and so forth, and she says, Dean, watch over this butterfly while I do this and, and take good care of it, you know? And so I said, okay, I'm gonna do it. So I sat there and next to me is this butterfly. I can't see it, it's inside, but there it was. And so later the same day, she, she released it. She opened up the lid and she let the butterfly go. And can you imagine if that butterfly could talk, it would say, thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me go. And it reminded me so much of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. He came to set us free. He came to liberate us, to forgive us of our sins and, and say, go free. And he gave us a freedom from sin that is tremendous. But he wants us to use that liberty not to sin, but to please him and to serve him. Yes, he wants us to be thankful and he wants us to be joyful along the road of life. You know, the book of Song of Solomon is such a blessing if you have a chance to read it. It's a love story between the Shulamite and Solomon. And one of the things that she said really is a blessing where she says in Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 16, My beloved is mine, and I am his. And if you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can say, my beloved, my beloved is Jesus. I am His and He is mine. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. When we've received Jesus Christ, He takes ownership. He takes control. Yes, when we were in control, mess we, we made, right? Just like I never told Taylor which I was speaking on, but it's so perfect because... When we're in control, we make the messes. We crash, we burn, we do all kinds of things. And yet when he's in control of our lives, there is a, there's blessing, there's joy, there's gladness. And our text today is in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. I was on vacation and I had meditated on another portion of scripture. Before I went, I said, okay, I got the thoughts. I'll be ready to go home and prepare this message. And then this verse of the day came out. 
And I love the verse of the day. If you ever have a chance to go on to the Bible Gateway app, every day it has a verse of the day. And it also has the scripture reading you can do and resources and commentaries and different things. It's beautiful. But the verse of the day this week while I was on vacation, I believe it was Thursday, is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 to 20. And Ed's going to put it up on the screen. And it really touched my heart this week as I was meditating upon it. And it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The title of our message today is simply, You are not your own. You're not your own. You know, everybody wants to be in control today. They want to have be in control and do it their way and do it this way. And they don't want to hear anybody tell them a different way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, I've done it this way before and I'm going to do it my way. How, how, how has that gotten our society? We live in a me-first society and it doesn't get us very far at all. And you know, when you join the military... Your life is not your own. We have some military people. Raise your hand if you were in the military and you can, yes, yes, in the military. So you can back me up on this, right? Your life is not your own. Once you become a soldier in the, in the Marines, Army, Air Force, Coast Guard, whatever branch of service it is, you relinquish all your rights. You set aside your clothes, your civilian clothes. You put everything aside and you join the army and Uncle Sam is your boss and your commander-in-chief tells you when to eat and when to sleep and what to do all the time. And some people join the service and they're so proud and they're so stubborn and they just have to melt. They have to melt, because if they don't, where are they going to end up? In the brig, in the brig, because you will either break or, the, or they will break you, you see. And so that's the kind of commitment that we have as Christians, but it's even better than that. And sometimes you can look at the life of your country, those who go out and serve our country 24-7. There's a commitment. They're not, you're not your own. The same is true when you get married. And I can also ask, how many here today are married? Raise up your hands. Married couples, yes. So when you get married, the same thing. You're not your own anymore. It says it in 1 Corinthians 7. The husband hasn't have control over his own body, but the wife does. And the wife doesn't have control over her own body, but the husband does. So you relinquish your rights and you subjugate them to become one in Christ. And that's a commitment, a marriage commitment. Just like in the service, you're committed to serving the country. Just in the marriage, you're committed to serving each other and working together. And whatever it is, or being part of a group, a team, an organization, there's a, you, you, you're not your own. You do it for the good of the team. And I like what Michael Phelps said last night. He came to tears, really. He was so thrilled that his Olympic career was now over. And he says, I like the relays. I like the relays. And you know why he likes the relays? Because it's not just him swimming against others. It's a team. 
And last night I was watching that race and it was exciting. And the first one got off and got a real good start for the team. The second one, they got a world record leg, got split, you know. And then Michael comes up there with the butterfly leg and he was flying. And then as he comes in, this young man who was one of these Cal uh, students, used to be for Cal, he swam tremendously fast and they won the gold medal. And it was just exciting to see. And when you see it done in teams, it's fantastic. If you've ever been part of a football team or you've been part of an organization and you know it's not just about you, it's about the team working together to achieve the common goal. And so we can all say with the Apostle Paul, you are not your own. And that's true when we accept Jesus Christ. We're no longer our own anymore. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and He is our Savior. And we're going to look at three things today that He has control over. Number one, He has control over our lives. Number two, He has control over our possessions. And number three, He has control over our talents. And we realize that our life is not our own, that we belong to Him fully and completely. The road will be smooth. But as soon as we start wanting to take control of that driver's seat, you know, take that driver's seat, take the wheel, Lord, I got this. This is an easy one. I've done this all my life that we're heading for trouble. We have to realize that the Lord knows everything. He has all wisdom and all knowledge and he knows best. And when we allow him to lead us, he will lead us in peace and joy and goodness. And we can thank him for that. Well, let's look first of all at our lives. The moment we get saved, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and it's the best day of your life. And if it's not the best day of your life, something is wrong. Because when you come to Christ as a sinner, and you say, Lord, I have made a mess of my life. I have sinned against you. I have done wrong. I have sinned. Please forgive me. And you believe on Jesus that he died for your sins on the cross and you accept him as your Lord and Savior. It should be the best day of your life. Yes, many people say, well, my wedding day is my best day. Or my graduation from college is my best day. Or whatever it is. But believe me, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can say the day of my salvation is the best day. It's the best day. And so if you've never accepted him yet, Today's the day to get saved, and it will be the best day of your life. It really will. And we can never put anyone or anything ahead of the Lord, because if we do that, we're heading for trouble. Because as I said, we live in this me-first society. But you know, Paul, when he's writing to the, Corinth, to the Romans in chapter 6, he mentions the way our lives should be now that we are saved. Romans chapter 6, we'll read verses 11 through 16. Romans 6, beginning at verse 11. He says, Likewise you also, and he's writing to believers there, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. 
What then shall we say? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are to that one slaves whom you will obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? What a change. What a change. When God saves a person who all their life had the desire to sin and all their life didn't even give it a second thought, and now they got saved, they've given their life to Christ, and there's a newness there. And now pretty soon, you can't use those words you used to use anymore. You can't do the things you used to do anymore. You don't want to do those things anymore. And when you're truly saved and you have the Holy Spirit, He convicts you. He makes it uncomfortable to do those things. And He wants us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can please Him more and more. Sometimes, though, we think He's a little too restrictive for us. It's a little too uncomfortable for us to be in the yoke with Jesus Christ. No. Being in the yoke with Jesus Christ is the most comfortable place and the most freedom you will ever have is to be in the yoke with Him because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. It says that in Matthew 11 and verse 30, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we have to give over the controls to Him. We have to let Him take control. And it's not just when we get saved. It's every day when we wake up because that old nature is going to battle with the new nature. Old nature wants to sin. New nature wants to please God. Old nature wants to go back to those old ways. New nature wants new ways and to please Him every day. The Lord Jesus Christ wants us to realize that we cannot do it on our own. Our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And what were we bought with? We were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid a high price for us. He said, you're worth it, Adam. You're worth it, Jessica. I love you, Wayne. I love you, John. I love you, Cindy. I purchased you with my blood. You're not your own anymore. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. What can get better than that? Nothing can get better than that. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Yes, it doesn't. When we worry, it doesn't add to our lives at all. It takes away from our lives. It makes our lives shorter and more miserable. Well, one day uh, when I went down on vacation, I was driving down there on vacation last Sunday, and I had some interruptions, and I couldn't leave on time. And I don't know if you heard the story, but I ended up going out to my mom's in El Cerrito, and then I ended up going down there, and I was so excited. I pulled into the hotel. It was 11.57. I still remember it. 11.57, right before midnight, and I said to the clerk when I signed in, I got here just in time before my car turns into a pumpkin. <laughs> I just made it. I just made it. But when I was driving down Highway 5 down there, and then I came back the same way, I was remarking to Bill, I said, you know, Bill, there's a problem with Highway 5. And he says, what's that? The problem is this. There's only two lanes on Highway 5. Two lanes going south, two lanes going north. 
Now, it might not seem too bad when you think about it. There's two lanes. Sure, that should be great, right? But guess who goes down Highway 5 a lot? Big trucks. Big, slow trucks. And, and it's amazing. And I said, this was not thought out well at all. They need three lanes, one for the trucks, one for the cars, and another one for the cars, so that if you have slow cars, and there are some slow <laughs> and you have slow trucks, then you can have some fast ones that go in the third lane. And Bill said, well, Dean, you know, that, that's, they, they can't put that third lane in. It's going to be pretty expensive. And I thought, you know what? That is so true. Can you imagine if they said, all the, right now we're going to take Highway 5, we're going to add one lane to each uh, northbound and one lane to the southbound? Just think how much money that would cost our state. It really would, but it would be so, so good. So instead of getting my wish for a third lane, God gave me a third amount of patience. So it was a good trip, and it really worked out well. Because, you know, when we get stressed out, and we get impatient, and we get all bothered because we have to wait in a long line at the bank, or there's traffic on the freeway, which I experienced coming back quite a bit too, it really doesn't do us any good to stress out over it. Say, Lord, you've put me in this situation. I'm here where you want me to be. I'm not, your, I'm not my own. My life is under your hand, control. Take control, Lord. Lead me according to your will. Because stress doesn't do any good for us. Someone once said these words. So important. Pressed out of measure. Pressed to all length. Pressed so intensely, it seems beyond strength. Pressed in the body and pressed in the soul, pressed in the mind till dark surges roll. Pressure by foes and pressure by friends. Pressure on pressure till life nearly ends. Pressed into knowing no helper but God. Pressed into loving the staff and the rod. Pressed into liberty where nothing clings. Pressed into faith for impossible things. Pressed into tasting the joy of the Lord. Pressed into loving a Christ life outpoured. You know, it's so true. Don't let the stress get you down. Don't let the pressure get you down. You know, the athletes, when they get ready for the big race in the pool or the big race on the track or whatever their event is, you notice there, they got the, microphone, the headphones on. They're listening to music. They're trying to decompress so they get ready for the race. We used to call it, when I used to run, psych yourself out. You have to psych yourself out for the race. You have to relax as much as you can. But as much as you can, you're still nervous. And life has its moments, doesn't it? Tough moments. But when we turn them over to the Lord, say, Lord, here's my day. I don't know what's coming, but you do. Here's my day. Lord, be with me. Take control. And he will. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. John, I really enjoyed your message, and I'm glad you mentioned that book, Jesus is Calling, that devotion. Because you know who put me on to that was Shauna. She sends out these text messages with uh, devotions on them, and one day she sent one out from the Sarah Young, who wrote the Jesus is Calling, and I read this, and I said, wow, this is really good. 
I've never heard of a writer like this that puts the writing in the form of like Jesus is actually the one speaking to you. So when you read it, you feel like you're sitting right down at the coffee table or the kitchen table with the Lord Jesus, and you've got a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or, or whatever your beverage of choice, and you're there talking to the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. It just it feels that way. It has that feel. And I love it. And one day this week she wrote, where, where she quotes this, it says, Sit quietly in my presence while I bless you. Make your mind like a still pool of water, ready to receive whatever thoughts I drop into it. Rest in my sufficiency and consider the challenges this day presents. Do not wear yourself out by worrying about whether you can cope with the pressures. Keep looking to me as we walk through this day together. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord wants to walk through our day with us. He says, I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to walk with Jesus today? We should all repeat it together. My life is not my own. Can you say that? My life is not my own. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. Therefore, everything I have belongs to Him. And so that's our first point today. Our lives belong to the Lord Jesus. We were bought with a price, and therefore we are to glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits, to use everything in our life to please Him. Secondly, our possessions belong to the Lord. Now, Dean, you're talking about something that's kind of personal here. You're talking about possessions and things like that that we have to use, but yes, they belong to the Lord Jesus. It's not my home. It's His home. It's not my car. It's his car. It's not my job. It's his job. It's not my clothing. It's his. And everything is seen, when we see it that way, it does take away the stress and the pressure and the worry because we realize it all belongs to him. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You know, it's great to have the right attitude, isn't it? When we go to work or school or whatever we want. And when someone has a bad attitude, it just kind of brings a sourness to it, doesn't it? We all were disappointed this week when the U.S. women's Olympic soccer team lost. I mean, it was like a huge thing because they were expected to win the gold medal. They believed they were going to win the gold medal. The whole world did. It was like a, almost a foregone conclusion. But someone forgot to send the memo or the email to the Swedes. The Swedes didn't get that email. They, they didn't hear about it. They, they missed it somehow. And so when they got into the game and it was real close and it was one-to-one -one and it went through the overtimes and then it went into the penalty kicks, the lady from Sweden, she put one past Hope Solo, the goalie. Now, instead of Hope Solo being a good sport about it, say, congratulations, that was a great shot. You guys played the game of your lives. You've got to give credit to those Swedes. They were really fantastic. That would have been great, right? She said, they're a bunch of cowards. They didn't deserve to win this at all. We're better than them. They shouldn't have. And she had such a bad attitude about it that it was people in the U.S. team were against it. People in the Olympic Committee were against it. Everybody who basically heard her speak those words were against it. Even her own teammates said, that's not right. You have to have sportsmanship. You have to have a good attitude. 
You have to win with class and humility, and you have to lose with class and humility. Nobody likes to lose. Nobody likes to get up in front of the cameras like they have the basketball players after the game, those series over, whatever, and, and football the same way, and they sit up in front of the cameras and they ask them these obvious questions. How do you feel you just lost the Super Bowl? How do you feel, Steph, you just lost the NBA championship? You know, I mean, come on, guys. They feel bad enough. They really feel bad enough. So that's why I had to go back in the archives to find a story about sportsmanship because nowadays you don't find it around very often at all. Well, I found a beautiful story of sportsmanship from the 1964 Olympics in Innsbruck, Austria. And it seems there was an Italian bobsledder who was very talented, very good. It's a two-man bobsled competition, and his name was Eugenio Monti. Eugenio Monte was fantastic, and he had just completed his final run. And he had such a great time and such a great effort that there was really nobody going to beat him. There was really only one person in the field left to go through the runs that would really have any kind of chance at all. And that man's name, he was from Great Britain, Tony Nash. Probably never heard of him, never heard of this story, but it's a great story. So as Nash and his teammate got their sled ready to go for the final run and give it their best shot and try to win it and try to win the gold, they noticed that one of the bolts had come loose at just the wrong time. And you can't take that sled down the run with that bolt missing like that or they'll crash. They won't be able to steer it. They won't be able to make it. What are we going to do? It's too late. Nobody, we can't get a crew up here to fix it. We can't fix it. We don't have the parts. What are we going to do? We trained all our life for this. We worked so hard. What are we going to do? Well, there was a man down at the bottom of the hill by the name of Eugenio Monti. He didn't even hesitate. He went to his sled and took the very bolt that was needed out of it. And he went up and sent it up to Nash. And he said, here, here's the part you need for your sled. This is such an amazing story. The man put the bolt in, into the sled. They got ready. They went flying down the hill, faster than they'd ever gone before. They set an Olympic record. They won the gold medal. And there was Monty, happy for them. He showed class. He showed sportsmanship. I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but wouldn't that be fitting if he was a Christian that gave that bolt, that gave them the gold medal? Amazing. But that's the kind of attitude that makes a difference in life. When you show that kind of spirit, when you show that kind of love for others, that puts others above ourselves, God can do miracles with that. And that's what he can do when we allow him to have his way. Big ways or small ways, God wants to use us. And he wants us to put him first, others second, and ourself last. That's where joy comes from. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Yes, to God be the glory. I love that song, To God Be the Glory, because there's two versions to it. There's the one in the hymn book we sing, and there's also the Andre Crouch one, which is in the hymn book as well. And when Andre Crouch wrote that hymn, one of the lines he says, just let me live my life, 
let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. And should I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. If you win anything, let that praise go to Calvary. If you lose anything, still let that praise go to Calvary. Because in winning or in losing, in succeeding or in failing, or in positives or negatives, whatever the case might be, if we do it for the glory of God, He will be pleased whether we win the gold medal or not. He will be pleased. And I can tell you, that man, Eugenio Monte, in my eyes, is a giant because he gave up the gold medal. He got the silver medal, but he got the gold medal in the eyes of everybody that witnessed that that day. Yes, we can either possess our possessions or our possessions can possess us. It's so true. But when we use our homes and we use our possessions and we use it for the Lord's glory, it doesn't matter if you serve a person a peanut butter jelly sandwich. I love those, by the way. But it doesn't matter <clears throat> if you serve mac and cheese or pizza or whatever you serve. If you bring somebody into your home and you do it in the name of Jesus, the Lord is going to bless you for it. He's going to do a tremendous blessing because they're not there for the food. Mike always likes to say it when we have our Monday night men's dinner. I'm not here for the food. We're here for the fellowship. We're here for the word. The food's the benefit of it. It's the, uh, it's, the, it's the blessing on top of it, but we're here for the fellowship. Yes, the Lord wants us to be stewards, in other words, managers of what he's given us. The problem is today, everybody wants to be a manager and be in control, right? And give the orders, but everybody can't be a manager. We have to be willing to take orders. And our orders come from one place, comes from Jesus Christ in heaven. And when he says, do it, I do it. When he says, don't do it, I don't do it. And when the reverse happens, that's when I get into trouble. We all do, because we let our flesh get in the way. I like what Martin Luther said many, many years ago. He said this, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, I still possess it. And that's so true. You know, when you reach out for things for yourself, sometimes you can, you can lose it. But when you get what God gives you, you still have it. And not just now, but for all eternity. Because God gives promises and he gives blessings. And they are for now and they're for eternity. They last forever. And so when God gives it to you, it is a blessing. And then our third point this morning, it's not only important to... Realize that our lives belong to him and our possessions belong to him, but also our talents belong to him. Has God given you a talent? Use it. Has God given you a skill? Develop it and use it. Has he given you spiritual gifts? Yes, use them for God's glory. And when you do that, it will be a blessing. Say, Lord, I'm available today. I can serve you. And he will take you up on it if you humbly accept it. Gifts, talents, abilities, we should all accept them and use them. Ex the problem is we say, yeah, that's great, Lord. I'm a singer or I'm a preacher or I'm a servant in the church and I vacuum or whatever it is. But, you know, I like what, what Brother Dave does. What Brother Dave does is, is special and and why can't I do what Brother Dave does? Or why can't I do what, 
what Cindy does, or why can't I do what Janie does? The problem is, we're a body. And we're, some of us are the, the ears, some of us are the eyes, some are the, the hands, some are the feet. We all are important. And then the inside parts, he says in 1 Corinthians 12, he said those things are even more special because those are the hidden parts of the heart. And in the church, you need a, a body. You need everybody working together. And when we have that kind of attitude, it makes for a great thing. It really does. And our lives are not our own. They're designed by God. He knew before you were born what you were going to look like, what you were going to do, who you were going to marry, what your major was going to be in college, whatever it is. He already had it known, and he's got a plan, and he's going to accomplish that plan. And how many of us have set out to do certain things in life? I want to be this, I want to be that, I want to be another thing. And God has turned it into a different direction. And we say, thank God, I didn't go that way. I went your way, Lord, and you brought it to pass in just the right way. Yes, God is good. Our lives are not our own. They've been designed by God. There's a story told of an oil man. He was in the oil business back when the oil business was good. I talk to a lot of people on the phone sometimes, and the oil business right now is very bad because the prices have plunged so low, and they're out of work. They're not making as much money. It's very tough. But back in these days, when this story happened, oil was booming. It was really booming. And one day, this man hit another gusher. And suddenly, he was worth twice as much as he was before. Think of that, twice as much as he was before. And so a couple of days later, a friend of his asked, he said, uh, Charlie, what, did, what was it like to wake up that one morning and all of a sudden you're worth twice as much as you were the day before? What was that like? Tell me. Well, the oil man responded, my assets haven't changed. I didn't own the first well. So I have owned the same amount as I had before, which is zero. I just feel I added responsibility to God for managing the new asset. The only money we have is the master's money. It is entrusted to us for management. Do we manage or do we own? May God help us to realize it. They oftentimes say, use it or lose it. And that is true in the Christian life too. You either use it or you lose it. God can easily take it back just as he gave it. And that's why we have to be thankful. That's why we have to use the talents that he has given us for his glory. And when we do that and we have this kind of attitude, it is a blessing. Yes, God wants us to use our gifts and talents wisely, to use them skillfully, and to use them humbly, and above all, use them for his glory. Not for my recognition, not for your recognition, but for his glory. For all glory goes to him. A man named S.D. Gordon once said, we have nothing to do with how much ability we've got or how little, but with what we do with what we have. The man with great talent is apt to be puffed up and the man with little talent to belittle the little. And sometimes we do that, don't we? We belittle the little. We minimize it. We think, oh, my gift is so little. God gives it, much or little. Our part is to be faithful, doing the level best with every bit and scrap, and we will if Jesus Christ controls us. We are not our own. 
We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we should give glory to God for everything that we have. And just for a moment to think about our bodies for a second and how special and how important our bodies are when you think about it. We should be careful what we eat and put into our bodies, shouldn't we? We should be careful the sleep that we get because that affects that body, because the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should be careful how we exercise our body, and sometimes we overdo it, and we've got to be careful of that too, because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I read a very touching story about a world-famous scientist by the name of Stephen Hawking. He's one of the most notable in the field because he developed the theory, the black hole theory, which is very common nowadays. And years ago, Hawking was struck with a debilitating disease called Lou Gehrig's disease. And if you've ever heard of that disease, you know how terrible it can be, how it can just take away all movement and motion and cause a person terrible things. It's, it's a debilitating neuromuscular disease which is harsh and cruel in its effect on the body. Well, Hawking's condition got so severe that he was practically motionless. Only his eyes could glance about. Yet Hawking is not to be dejected. He continues to work using one finger on a computer, his last remaining motor function. Hawking utilizes what he has. How about you? You know, when you read stories or you hear stories or see it on TV about somebody that overcame adversity, overcame a debilitating injury or accident or disease, it gives you hope. It gives you inspiration. Because so many times, what we do is we say, I'm tired. I'm, I'm hurting. This is hard. Why, is, why do I have to do this? We complain. We complain and we complain. Here's a man that has one finger and he's using the one finger he has to carry on his work. If God gives you little, use the little. If God gives you much, use the much. Use whatever he has given to you. So in conclusion, let's remember our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. He is our Lord and our King and our Savior. He is the one who directs our lives. He wants us to use everything we have for Him. Spirit, soul, and body. And to be dedicated to doing everything for His glory. If we do that, we won't stress out. We won't worry. We'll give it over to, to the Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's very important how we use them. And may we use our possessions, our time, our money, everything that we have, because it belongs to the Savior, and may we use it for His glory. And let's never complain, why me, Lord? Instead, say, why would you love me so much? Why would you give me so much, Lord? Why would you be so generous with me? Why would you make me such a wonderful child of God? That's what he wants us to have, that kind of attitude. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenging words of Scripture that we are not our own, Lord. We've been bought with a price. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you loved us so much just to come down and pay 
in the form of your blood to redeem us, to save us from sin, to give us a new life. Help us to realize, Lord, that this new life that you have given us is a gift and help us to use it for you. Whether it's our lives or our possessions or our talents, may we use them for your honor and glory, Lord. And help us to be thankful that you've given us so much. There are so many people, Lord, in this world that don't have even half of what we have, and yet still we complain. Lord, help us to be thankful. Help us to live for you. And so we pray for anyone here today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Today's the day, Lord. You're pulling on their, on their heartstrings today, Lord. You're, you're tugging. You're, you're prodding. You're saying, accept me today. Believe in me today. Trust in me today. And we pray, Lord, that no one will leave this building today without Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we pray for all those who are believers, Lord, that you'll encourage them and bring us back to church tomorrow, Monday night, for prayer and Bible study. We just praise you and thank you now for all that you've done in Jesus' precious name. Amen.